We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. For salvation is nearer to us now than we, when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see you, Emmaus. My name is Joshua. I'm one of the pastors here at Emmaus. If you're a guest, welcome. It's a joy to have you with us today. Thanks for um, coming and joining us. We'd love to meet you. We'd love to get to know you any way that you would allow. We have a connect table out, um, out in the lobby. We'd love to meet you there. Or you could go to EmmausKC.com forward slash connect. That's EmmausKC.com forward slash connect. And we would love to, uh, to help you get connected with Emmaus there. You can fill out a digital connect card, learn about membership, learn about small groups, and a number of other opportunities. So uh, make sure that you take a visit there. And uh, it's just a joy to have you with us. Uh, members, we love you. Don't forget, next Sunday uh, is members meeting in the afternoon, 3 to 5 at Northland Baptist Church. We'll be baptizing three. Uh, we'll be welcoming in new members. Uh, don't forget also to go read their testimonies this week on our website. Should have received emails about that and on the Facebook members page. Uh, you can go read their testimonies and you can uh, then vote on that page. Make sure that you're voting ahead of time, right? The vote's digital before members meeting. Vote ahead of time on incoming members. I hope that you're blessed by their testimonies, by their stories. I sat yesterday on my, on my deck yesterday morning drinking my coffee, reading through those, and was just overwhelmed from age 8 to 65 plus, incredible stories of, of gospel transformation in lives. And so go take a moment to read that and then to vote on our incoming members. And uh, we look forward to joining you next Sunday afternoon for members meeting. Uh, also then, if you have kids, uh, know that starting this summer, we'll begin rolling out Emmaus Kids again. We're going to roll it out in some different forms, so be watching for the information about that. Uh, we'll begin with some midweek things and roll into even back into Sunday mornings again. And so be, be watching and paying attention to that and know that that is coming again. Emmaus, thank you so much for just um, your grace with us through the midst of COVID, COVID and children being in our services, um, all the children being in our services and I know sometimes uh, it's a distraction to you. Sometimes it can be a distraction to me. But if you're a parent with a, dis with a child, that is the distraction. No, we love you and your child, right? You do not have to fear your child being a distraction. That's part of being the family of God gathered here today. Um, don't be ashamed of that. Let that child cry. We love it, all right? We'll, we'll press in. We'll press in, and the Spirit will imply to our hearts what we need to hear amidst all of that. So thank you all for that. Um, hey, I want us to pray, and I want us to pray for, um, for, for the Arcos, uh, for Claudia and Francesco Arco, our partnership, church planning partnership in Genoa, Italy. Uh, back in, uh, at the end of last year, you as Emmaus gave um, uh, just under $50,000 to our global outreach fund. Part of that money went to the Arcos to help them with the purchase of a new facility for ministry in their community. They serve um, hundreds of, of homeless people food um, every week. They care for um, incredible, uh, they're, they're in a part of the Genoa that, that people call the unforgettables and the untouchables, um, prostitutes, gypsies, um, addicts, and they are serving that 
portion of their city um, with incredible grace. Uh, and uh, just this week, they were able to secure the facility that, that our money helped them to purchase. And so they're moving in there, and over the next two weeks, we'll begin to meet there. So we want to pray for them and the Lord's blessing on their ministry as they begin to um, minister out of that facility. And then we will also pray for our time as we gather here today. So let's take a, cha- a moment and pray, and we'll look at this text. And Jesus, we thank you for Francesco and Claudia. Father, for their relentless, undying, oftentimes untiring love of their city. Father, they share the gospel and they care for needs in a beautiful way. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to be a part of what you're doing there um, through, through financial gifts to them. Father, we pray that as they move into a new facility and they begin to welcome in hundreds of people a week from the streets into their their facility to receive food and care, to hear the gospel proclaimed, Father, we pray that you would bless them. Father, as they are sharing with with, with Muslims and with Buddhists and with Hindus and with um, nominal Catholics, Father, would you um, bless their ministry, give them great insight and discernment, give the power of the Spirit as they proclaim the gospel, and would you draw people from all nations and tongues that are gathered around them in their city to you. And Jesus, your word is straight and honest with us in this text today. For the next four weeks, we'll be looking at specific commands of how to love one another. And so I pray that you would help us with this. We need your help with this. Our flesh does not love others but ourselves, and our sin does not serve others but ourselves. We often, Jesus, fail to display our faith in you through the love of others, yet that's exactly what we're called to do in this text today. So help us. Spirit, would you preach a better sermon than I have prepared today? Empower us for this command to love. We cannot do this on our own strength or with our own discipline. Jesus, living word, may your written word convict correct, and instruct us today. May we, as Paul says, put you on, adorn us with your gentle, kind, patient, caring, and correcting love so that we may love others the same. Father, help us to love others because you first loved us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. For those of you visiting and for those of you forgetting, let me just give us a little recap of where we're at in the book of Romans. Paul's writing to this church because it's beginning to have fracture lines across it through ethnic um, issues and ethnic diversity and and religious diversity. And there's beginning to be some some, uh, disunity among this church. So he's writing to it to unify it um, around the gospel so that they might send him on with the gospel. And so as he's beginning to write this to them, his desire is to unify them with the gospel so that they would send him on. And he has been doing that for us throughout the rest, throughout the entirety of this book. Chapters 1 through 11, he unpacked the beauty of the gospel, that every human has sinned and is separated from God, that every human needs forgiveness and acceptance by God, that every human is incapable of earning forgiveness and acceptance by God, but that every human who will place their faith in Jesus can receive forgiveness and acceptance by God because of what Christ did on the cross and in his resurrection. And then he moved into chapters um, 12 and following. And in chapters 12 and following, he begins to unpack for us the implications of this 
life that has been changed by the gospel. The implications of the one who was dead and is now alive, who was a slave to sin, is now a slave to Christ. He brings in the implications. The implications are that we would love one another, that we would spend our days as a living sacrifice, loving one another, being unified with one another, building one another up, honoring one another, forgiving one another, not seeking revenge and retaliation on one another. And he unpacks it for us. Just listen to what he says in chapter 12 up to this point. Present your bodies as living sacrifices. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought, but see each other and yourself through the lens of God's grace. Use the gifts and the faith that God has given you to serve and build up the church. Love with genuine love. Cling to what is good. Hate what is evil. Live with zeal for God and for his people. Endure in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Care for the needs of others. Bless those who persecute you and do not curse them. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Don't be prideful, but associate with the lowly. Do not repay evil for evil, but trust God's justice. Love your enemies. Serve your enemies. Seek to live peaceably with all. Outdo one another in showing honor. Trust God's appointment of governing authorities over you and seek to honor and obey them when their ruling does not lead you to sin. And then at the end of last week, he says, and pay your taxes and all your debts. What a list of actions of love that should be present in the life of the one who has been saved through faith in Jesus. Now Paul is going to unpack this further. He's going to go a step further for us and carry this idea on, this idea of loving one another, um, not, not in, a, in a baseline amount of love, but, but to quote the Jesus Storybook Bible, a never stopping, never giving up, never breaking, always and forever kind of love, an extravagant kind of love. He's going to call the believer to spend lots of love. So let's see what he says about this. Chapter 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, I've actually heard this text used to, to say that you should have, as a believer, should have no debt in your life, right? And I know even some of you have mentioned that this week. Someone this morning said, I was a little concerned when I read this. So how, how am I going to get rid of that, like, immediately? That's not Paul's point here, is no debt, right? He, in fact, in the verses just before, he actually tells us, Chapter 13, verse 7, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. The, the point is not, hey, it's, it's, it's um, wrong to have some sort of debt there financially, so go pay it back immediately. Get, get rid of it and never go into it again. In fact, throughout Scripture, we actually see that there's an allowance for loaning and for receiving in this. But Paul's point here is that we would pay back what actually we have taken out. That you would not be shady in your debt. That you would not be someone who takes money and doesn't repay money. 
Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, and revenue to whom revenue is owed. Do not have outstanding debt that you're not paying on. So on one hand, we see that a way that we are to love one another, right, a way that we express our love to others, a way that we express the love of Christ to us, to others, is to pay our bills on time, to pay our lenders, which church also implies that you do not take out more debt than you're actually capable of paying back. It requires wisdom and thought around your finances. This is a way of loving one another. And some of you need to take this seriously. Or some of you don't need to fly past this part. Your finances are just in a crazy situation. You, you owe people a lot of things. You haven't paid your taxes. You're, you're in a bad place on this. And he would say, hey, get, get this in order. Let's do some work. To which I would then, as your pastor, say, what financial help do you need? What counsel do you need? What tools do you not have that we could help you with? How could we help you be wise and responsible and loving with your finances? But here in verse 8, Paul uses this principle of loving by paying back our debt in contrast to taking on the debt of love. He uses this in contrast to taking on the debt of love. Let me explain. Principles of financial debt. Do not spend over your limit. Be careful not to spend so much money that you cannot pay it back. Pay back what you borrow on time and fully pay it back. Right? In other words, be diligent to not spend too much and to always pay it back. Keep debt low and manageable. Be responsible. But then he also has principles of love debt here. A debt of love, if you will. And what he's explaining to us is this. When it comes to love, treat love like your daddy is excessively rich and like he has given you a MasterCard black. Some of you don't even know what that is, but it's a limitless card, a credit card with no limit and a dad with no end to his funds who says, go spend what you want to spend, spend it all, rack it up. You'll never have to pay it. You'll never max out your limit. Christian, your mission, if you choose to accept it, to quote, Mission Impossible, is to do everything that you can to max out your love card. Do everything you can to max out your love card. Try to overspend it. You can't. Never worry about paying a bill. It's already been paid. Your heavenly father's love never runs out. Whatever you spend, he has paid. He'll never text you and ask you why you spent so much of his love. He'll never tell you it was a bad investment because you spent it on that person or you used it for that act of love. He'll never cut you off and make you pay him back. He says, my love has no limits, spend it. The contrast Paul points out here for us is don't remain in debt Get rid of the debt that you owe everyone, but the debt of love, always stay in debt. If there's a debt of love we sing about a moment ago that we owe to God, this debt of love that we can't repay him. He loved us in such an extravagant way, there's no way we could ever pay him back for what he did. The loan of love was not a loan, but a gift that we can't pay back. And this forever indebtedness to him of of this, this love that he has given us, we then, because he first loved us, are to love others in the same way, extravagantly. Never expecting them to pay it back, 
and never going cheap. Stop shopping on the discount racks when it comes to love in your life. Go buy extravagantly. Love, not stuff. Spend extravagant, large amounts of love on other people. That's the principle at play here. Love others by being responsible with financial debt, paying back what you owe in the right time in the full amount, and love others with extravagant love. Don't be cheap. Don't cut corners. Don't hang out the discount rack. Get out there and love others extravagantly and limitlessly. Now, allow me to give a disclaimer because I've had a few conversations this week and I'm aware that our church is ever more growing in a number of people who have um, backgrounds of abuse. Physical abuse, spiritual abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse. And for those who come from backgrounds of abuse, the sermons of the past few weeks, Paul's explanation here in Romans, can be used within our own shame and our own, um, our own burdens of, of the abuse that we've had to, to compel us that what we need to do is to stay in the abusive relationships and keep loving limitlessly. But that's not what he would say here. Perhaps the most loving thing you can do is to remove yourself from the relationship of abuse, to seek help, and to find healing, because those who find healing from abuse and the wounds and the brokenness of sinful, sinful world are able to love others more extravagantly. The most loving thing you can do for yourself and for others is to remove yourself from that relationship of abuse and seek healing. We would love to help you with that if that's where you're at. We would love to point you in the right direction, help give you counsel, help bring you to those places. So do not let the enemy use what the Spirit would use to bring freedom of love. Do not let the enemy use that to hold you into places of abuse and brokenness. Now, the remainder of Romans chapter 13 explains for us why we should love the way, or why we should love this way and how we should love this way. So first, let's look at the how. How are we to love others? In addition to all we've seen in Romans 12 and 13 to this point, the, the list of things I read off for you a moment ago, in addition to that, how else are we to love? Look at 13 verse 9 through 10. For the, um, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, um, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And so Paul says, hey, we are to love extravagantly, limitlessly, keep spending love. What does that look like? Well, it looks like actually obeying the law that God gave us. It looks like keeping his commandments, not in an act to please him or to earn our righteousness like it used to be used, but now out of being made righteous through faith in Christ, we are to love by keeping the law, by obeying the law. Specifically here, he gives us a list. He says, do not commit adultery, 
right? How unloving is adultery? To your spouse, to the other person, to your children, to your church family. Do not murder, right? Murder does not show love. And I would point your minds back to church, Jesus' teachings on both these issues that he says, you say, I've not, you know, you shall not commit adultery, but if you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery. You say, you shall not murder, but if you hate another, you have killed them in your heart. So we've got lust here. We've got adultery. We've got hate. We've got murder. He says, do not steal. It is not loving, church, to take what is not yours. Intellectually, emotionally, relationally, physically, don't take what is not yours. Do not covet. Don't want what is not yours. Don't take it and don't want it. Coveting does not lead to love, but it leads to jealousy, and it leads to bitterness, and it leads to discontentment, often leads to stealing. It is not a loving act. And then he says, and any other commandment, right? Just in case you slip past these ones, he says, and the others. Don't commit these. Stay in holiness in this area. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Care for others. Look out for others. Protect others. Provide for others. Show grace to others. Be concerned about the well-being of others as we should be about ourselves. Love others as yourself. And then he says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. And in case you've missed everything I've said, in case something has slipped past there, love does no wrong to a, a neighbor. Don't do them wrong. And then in verses 12 through 14, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. He says, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. This is an intentional effort, church, to take off sin, right? To stop sinning. Contextually, in the text that he's looking at here, he's, he's talked to us about the sin of pride, of haughtiness, of racism, of judgment, of anger, of hatred. He just went through us the list of sins here of, of adultery and of covetousness, of murder. He says, take it off, like rip that off of your body. Take those clothes off, throw them away, put them in the fire pit, burn them up and put on the armor of light. Putting on the armor of light looks like all the things Paul's been unpacking for us in Romans. The gospel message, the gospel truth, faith in Jesus Christ, and all the implications that come from that. And then he goes on, he goes, let me give you some examples. Put off orgies and drunkenness. Put off sexual immorality and sensuality. Put off quarreling and jealousy. 
Just in case you slip past those other ones, he goes, and don't be jealous. And don't quarrel. Take those off, rip them off your body. I have in my mind a picture, the picture of, of Joseph in Potiphar's house. Do you remember the story? Joseph's in Potiphar's house in the Old Testament and Potiphar's wife is enticing him to sleep with her over and over and over again, trying to get him to come to bed with her and he will not do it. And so as scriptures say, he runs out into the, he, he rips himself away from her, leaves his coat with her and runs out into the street, right? Into public, into accountability, if you will. He runs away from this. I picture this, just rip the clothes of sin off of you and run into the light, get into the street. You have to understand that the Roman culture, which he's writing into is one of grand sensuality and sinfulness. One commentator said the Greco-Roman revelry could make a frat house toga party look like a convent in comparison. He calls us to, un to intentionally, he the Romans, and now he calls us to intentionally work at throwing these things off, this self-indulging, loveless acts of sin, to throw it off of us. He's emphasizing again for us Romans 6 and Romans 8 about putting to death the desire of the flesh. And the illustration he's using is one of clothes. Take off the clothes of sinfulness, put on the clothes of Christ. And then he says, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. To which when I read, my heart just said, ouch. I wonder if we were honest, if we paid attention to ourselves for a day, really paid attention for a day, truly evaluated our lives, how often in a day we make provisions for the flesh. How often do you position yourself at the coffee shop to lustfully watch that person you are attracted to? How often do you consider how to justify a lie in order to get out of something you're afraid of? How often do you stare, uh, excuse me, how often do you share about how someone hurt you? Not to a spiritually mature person will help give you counsel towards forgiveness of the one who hurt you, and trust in the God who accepts you, but instead you share about how someone has hurt you to earn someone's allegiance with you against the one who hurt you. Making provision for your bitterness and your hate. How often do you scroll social media looking for posts and memes and commentary that will justify and validate your own heart as it curses those who persecute you or as you hold hatred in your heart for those who disagree with you? looking for and reposting things that agree with your agenda, your thoughts, your ways, rather than what Christ would call you to, the way that he would call you to think. Does this make sense? Provisions for the flesh. I wonder if we paid attention how often we're actually working under the radar to allow ourselves to get by with sin. Paul is calling us to an intentional inventory of our lives, an audit, if you will, of our holiness, a throwing off of sinfulness and putting on of godliness by living like Jesus. What Paul is telling us, church, is holiness is loving to others. Holiness is loving to others. Run from sin, hide from sin, make no provision from sin, rip sin off and walk in holiness 
for in holiness you love others. Now Paul shares with us two reasons. Two reasons that we're to love this way. First, love is the fulfillment of the law. Look at verse eight and then 10. Let every person be subject to the government, or excuse me, uh, that was verse one. Owe nothing, verse eight, owe nothing except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law, verse nine, or excuse me, has fulfilled the law. Then verse 10, it says, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. He's taking this directly from the teachings of Jesus. The one who loves another has fulfilled the law. In Matthew 22, it's recorded that Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, love God and love your neighbor, depends all the law and the prophets. This is what they're talking about, he says. This is the aim. This was the goal. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus sees love, love of God and love of others as the fulfillment of the law. In John 13, Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus sees love as the fulfillment of the law and as proof of saving faith. He sees love as the fulfillment of the law and as proof of saving faith. One commentator said, the world knows that we are disciples by our love and they know whether we are disciples by our love. Francis Schaeffer said, Jesus gives the world the right to judge whether you and I are born again Christians on the basis of our observable love towards all Christians. And he went on to say, that is pretty frightening. Jesus gives the world the right to judge whether you and I are born-again Christians on the basis of our observable love towards all Christians. That is pretty frightening. Hear this, church, because this is convicting and also terrifying, if your life is consistently unloving towards others, there is reason to question if you're his disciple. This week I watched as Christians, even pastors devoured each other on social media around a number of topics, but particularly the Floyd case. Hatred, anger, resentment, fiery insults, twisting of words, anything but love being displayed. And with this text in mind, my heart broke. If I'm looking at these lives based off of their display on social media or their lack thereof of love towards brothers and sisters, even brothers and sisters that they disagree with, which we'll look at next week in our text, then I am incredibly saddened to say that many, even pastors whom I follow, whom I see online every day, may very well not be followers of Jesus. Because rather than being known by their love, They're known by their hatred. 
But hear me, church, it's really easy for us to look to social media and to critique others on the other side of the screen. But I pray that the Spirit would protect us from looking at others and assessing their lack of love while giving no attention to ourselves and our track record of love. Because while I looked on the screen and I watched how they acted, I also was reminded of my impatience with that TSA agent at the airport. And not just impatience, but what was probably hatred. And I had to repent. Do you love others? Do you spend your days and your nights considering how to love others and then practicing love towards others? Do you pray that the Spirit would give you supernatural love for others? Do you study the life of Jesus and his love for others and seek to love like Jesus? Do you lash out against others on social media? Do you hold on to bitterness and, or distribute forgiveness? Are you prone to anger or to kindness? Are you growing in patience or in anger, frustration? What's the trajectory of your life? They will know us by our love for one another. And so I ask your unbelieving friends and your family see a type of love in you that they can't explain in the world. We, and we planted Emmaus in 2014. We were planting Emmaus. We began the beginning of 15 officially. But in 2014, we were planting Emmaus. My wife and I had just adopted our daughter. She was 14 years old. She was an unbeliever. She wanted nothing to do with God. Here she was living with a pastor, helping start a church. But it wasn't the preaching and teaching alone that drew her heart to Jesus. It was the love of the women of this church. Women like Kristen Kurtz and Elizabeth Sanders, like Abby Westman and Carrie Stratton and more. Women who loved her deeply and unconditionally and kindly and generously. Trisha came home to me one time and she said, why are they so kind and loving? To which I replied, because they love Jesus. She had been abused by people who culturally were Christians. These people were different. They didn't just claim Christian as a title, they loved Jesus. Because they loved Jesus, they loved others. And their love of my daughter softened her heart to the love of Jesus. And in a matter of months, she became a follower of his. Second, we are to love extravagantly now because Christ's return is near and the time to love is running out. I've heard this preached as a warning. Hey, time's running out. Jesus is coming back. You better be acting in love because you don't want to be caught not loving. I don't think that's the tone and direction here. It's an encouragement, not a fear tactic. Hey, Jesus is coming back. And when he arrives, the opportunity to love in this unique way that we have right now is gone. Don't miss the chance. 
Look at the text, verses 11 through 12. Besides this, you know that the time, the, the hour has come for you to wake up from your sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness and sexual immoralities and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. As those who have placed their faith in Jesus, we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. He has saved us, he is continuing to save us, and one day that salvation will find its culmination in the return of Christ. This is the day he's referring to here, the day when, when the horizon breaks, the light comes over the, the, the farthest viewpoint, and Christ appears on the scene again. He says he's coming back, so stop living like it's still dark. Stop living like it's still night. Stop living like one who has not been saved. Rather, run to the light. Run in love. Love extravagantly. Throw off your sin and throw on Christ and love others deeply. Time's running out. The return of Christ is near. When that happens, the time to love one another with the love of Christ has expired. Our time to display the love of Christ through the broken, to the broken, the hurt, the sinful. Our time to display the love of Christ by loving our church family and our biological families and our neighbors, it will be over. Don't, don't hear me wrong, there'll still be love in the world, like perfected. But what we lose is the unique opportunity to display the love of Christ to a broken world. He says, don't wait, time's running out. Love now. Get rid of your sin now. Run in love now. Love one another with genuine love. Seek to max out your love card on others because the fulfillment of the law and because, because it's the fulfillment of the law and because we have limited time to do so. So start spending now. In conclusion, church, I have four pastoral charges for you and one for the unbeliever. Christian, go home and do an audit of your love. And because the heart is deceitful among many things, go home and ask someone else to help you do an audit of your love. Do you actively, consistently, and intentionally express actions and attitudes of love towards others? Or do you actively, consistently, or maybe occasionally, perhaps intentionally or perhaps unintentionally, love yourself? by hating others with your actions, your attitudes. Do an audit. Take notes. Not for self-condemnation. One, it'll help you see the glorious grace of Jesus to save you, though you're such a wretched sinner. And two, it'll help you see areas in your life that you need to confess, repent of, and walk in obedience in. Which leads us to our second pastoral charge. Go home and intentionally take off your sin. Take it off. Prayerfully recognize it, humbly confess it, intentionally repent of it, and leave it behind. Your sin is not loving. It's not loving to your creator God, and it's not loving to you, and it's not loving to others. Take it off. Confession and repentance. Walk away from it. 
flee into the streets. And Christian, third, go home and intentionally put on love. Intentionally put on love. Put some thought into how you can love others. Pray for the spirit to empower you to love others. Study the life of Jesus. Get in the gospel, study the life of Jesus. See how he loves others. Go love others the same. Your creator God has shown you unending, unmeasurable, unmerited love, church. He has shown you, that, he has shown you this primarily in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, who loved perfectly though we could not and displayed his perfect love for you while you were still a sinner by dying for you. Scriptures say greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And that is exactly what Jesus did for you, believer. Because God has loved you so extravagantly and the person and the work of Jesus, what is stopping you from taking an unlimited card of love and doing all you can in the days you have left to shower people with love? Go spend it. To the unbeliever. No love you desire, no love you chase, no love you acquire, no love you give will earn your acceptance before your creator God. It will not satisfy your soul, it will not complete you, and it will not sustain you in the last days. You need Jesus. You cannot buy forgiveness and acceptance with love for others. For you as an unbeliever, this sermon's not, hey, go love people more. This sermon to you is, see the extravagant love Jesus had for you. See it, believe it, trust in it, receive it. The greatest act of love from the greatest lover the world has ever known is yours today if you'll simply look at him in faith. Come to Jesus, he's the greatest display of love you'll ever know. Believe he is the son of God, believe he lived perfectly, in your place, believe he died sacrificially in your stead, believe he rose again to give you life, believe that he is coming again for all who are his, believe this in faith, and love is yours. The love of Christ is yours. Church, let's spend it. We owe a debt we cannot repay. So let's just take that card of love and go spend it deeply and extravagantly. I'm praying that we'll do so. Today, we actually get to celebrate that extravagant love of Christ that was displayed in the fact that he laid down his life for a friend. His body was broken and his blood was shared, shed for those of us who would believe. So today, as we take this, we are celebrating the greatest act of love the world has ever known. And as we do so, I pray that we would ask him to help us display that love to others. If you're an unbeliever, you've never placed your faith in Jesus, our invitation to you is to not come take this bread and this um, juice today. Rather, our invitation to you is to take Jesus. We'd ask you to stay in your seat. If you're considering trusting Jesus, then, then just pray to him, tell him that. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. Just say, oh, I, I think I need you. I think I need your love. I believe in you. I trust in you. If you have questions about that, we'd love to meet with you, talk with you afterwards. Come find me in the lobby. Ask anyone who comes and takes this. They'd love to tell you about Jesus. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, 
Then when I'm done praying, I'll invite you to stand. You'll exit to your right. You'll come down. You'll receive hand sanitizer. And then you'll come over and you'll receive your bread and your um, juice. Go back to your seat to take. We'll conclude with one song. I love you, church. Let's pray. Jesus, would you help us? Jesus, it is so hard to believe in your unending, extravagant love towards us. Because we just don't see that anywhere, including in ourselves. And yet, my inability to love others extravagantly is the exact reason that I need your extravagant love. And so today, those of us who are followers of you, thank you for loving us while we were still sinners, for dying for us, for redeeming us, for calling us your own and adopting us, for welcoming us into your family and loving us unconditionally. We thank you. Empower us to do the same for others. Help us to throw off our sin, to walk in holiness and to love one another. And Spirit, would you draw and would you convict and would you save those in the room who are not believers today? May they come to know the unbelievable love of Jesus as they place their faith in him. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Amaze KC, located in Kansas City. For more information about Amaze KC, please visit us online at www.amazekc.com.